This podcast is brought to you by the Creation Academy Honors Program, an apologetics learning experience designed to teach, train, and inspire others to become strong defenders of the Christian faith and biblical creation. Launching early 2019, the program offers video and audio training with downloadable course workbooks, expert interviews, and exclusive Q&A sessions with leading creation scientists and apologists, quarterly ebooks covering a wide variety of subject matter, and even a private Facebook community where you'll fellowship and interact with a like-minded community of believers. If you want to be notified when the program goes live and even help us design the experience from the ground up, head on over to www.jointca.co today and sign up for the waitlist. You'll get early access to the private Facebook group for free as a thank you for joining. You're listening to the Steve Schramm Show, a weekly podcast defending the truth of God's Word in biblical apologetics and uh, creation science. And we're so excited to have you here with us today. Of course, on this show, we uh, discuss topics relevant to the defense of Christianity and uh, Christian uh, theology and really trying to see how God's world uh, and God's Word coincide the different places that they that they meet. And it's uh, very fascinating to me to see the confirmation that we get from the sciences, from philosophy, uh, from uh, you know, yeah, mathematics, for that matter, just everything. Uh, our human experience, psychology. It's interesting to me to see how uh, exactly the world... We live in exactly the world that we should expect if the Christian story is true. It's like our friend Greg Kogel uh, likes to say often that this is the story of reality. That's what Christianity is. It's the story of reality. Uh, the Christian story is best verified by the fact that this it truly reflects the way the world actually is. And so um, that is kind of the, the, the premise of, of what we do around here and the topics that we discuss. We want to give you more confidence as a Christian to walk as a Christian in a day where it is arguably harder than ever to be a Christian. And the subject matter today is especially relevant to that kind of uh, discussion. So what we're going to do when we get to that uh, portion here in just a minute is we're going to talk about seven ways to identify a bad argument. Seven ways to identify a bad argument. And what I'm going to give you is uh, essentially seven questions that you could ask of any argument uh, that will help you to determine whether or not it is sound. And essentially, these are based on seven different logical fallacies. And I will mention the logical fallacy to you. But in case you are newer to this kind of subject, uh, by first realizing the question that you can ask to help identify the argument, that will kind of help you to understand more about the nature of the fallacy and why it is a fallacy, um, why it would be incorrect for somebody to argue based on that. And I got to tell you, 
I mean, um, there are some very well-known, very high-profile individuals who consider themselves to be bastions, as it were, for the cause of atheism, who fall into these traps all the time. Now, let's be fair, this happens from a Christian perspective too. This show is about more than a challenge for the skeptic, it's also about confidence for the Christian, uh, and primarily about confidence for the Christian. So realize that um, these uh, there's some uh, admonishment that we can give here along these lines to help Christians understand how to make better arguments, and specifically arguments that aren't fallacious. And uh, the same goes for Christians. But the reason I started to say that is I was uh, doing laundry this past Saturday, and I'm sure most normal people listen to music or something like that, or maybe even an audiobook or something while they're doing laundry, watch TV. Um, I listen to theology debates, science debates. Um, so consider me weird if you want to, but uh, it arms me with the firepower necessary to come on these podcasts and um, give you some thoughts of my own. Okay, so um, that's just one of the many things that I, I like to do. And uh, it is entertaining for me in some respects. And I was listening to a debate. It was actually an older debate, a 2014 debate on the Unbelievable podcast uh, and radio show over there at Premier Christian Radio. And it was between Dr. John Lennox and Dr. Lawrence Krauss. Now, Lawrence Krauss is a physicist uh, formerly with the University of Arizona, <clears throat> Excuse me, and um, John Lennox is a, uh, a tremendous scholar, a mathematician uh, from the uh, University of Oxford, and so they were going back and forth in this discussion, and um, I was shocked, really, at the nature of the bad arguments that were coming from Lawrence Krauss. Now, I mean, let's be, you know, I mean, I've, I've listened to a couple of his debates now. I've listened to some of his debates with William Lane Craig and with others. And uh, to be honest with you, I've never been impressed. But these arguments were particularly bad. I mean, um, you know, John Lennox at one point brought in a, a you know philosophy question and it was just dismissed out of hand. I mean, Dr. Krauss says, well, I don't care about philosophy. I care about science. And this is what science says. And of course, even that is a logical fallacy. Uh, that's that we won't talk about it today. But that's the fallacy of reification. That's saying that uh, you know science can actually say something. Well, that's not the case. Science requires an interpreter, and it is therefore scientists who say things. And so, uh, what we need to be able to do then is to identify when arguments go bad and. Uh, the point that I wanted to really make here is that it is not just, you know, Joe on the street or uh, or that really, really belligerent atheist that's in that Facebook group that you discuss uh, with often. Those are not the only guys who are using logically defunct arguments to make their case. I mean, it's, it's high-profile guys who are in the limelight, who have a wide-reaching influence um, on the general population, the general culture. So um, this is why it's more important than ever to make sure that we are on the right side of these conversations, that we're doing our best to hold our conversations with those who disagree to the highest standard possible.
So that's what we're going to talk about in just a moment. First, I have a, uh, a kind of a request for you, something uh, that we're going to be doing. If you will remember with me back to Lesson 61, Episode 61 there of the podcast, it's where I made the announcement that we were switching from the Creation Academy to the Steve Schramm Show and some of the things around that. I mentioned that I was going to be doing less writing, at least for a season. Um, and that is still very true. Um, the, uh, uh, the podcast is primarily, it's going to be my primary vehicle for communication from my ministry, um, for at least the foreseeable future for, for at least the foreseeable future. It's, uh, it, it, it's less, um, it's less of a time commitment on a weekly basis for me, which is what I need right now with all of the things that are going on in life. Um, and so that's that's all well and good. Now that said, I do like to put out, um, you know, multiple pieces of content from my ministry when possible. Now some of you know that I do these short videos on YouTube. Um, generally speaking, if we were to make a wide generalization, they are less than 10 minutes long. I don't think I've ever gone over 10 minutes on a video. It, to me, that's a good, um, a good length. Uh, they're not quite short like the STR videos. I don't know if you're familiar with the, like the videos that Stand to Reason puts out. You know, they put out a two or three minute video. Sometimes it's a little longer. My videos are admittedly it's usually between eight to 10 minutes because I really like to have the time to develop my thoughts. So, um... I, I like to put that out. Now, that is also pretty easy for me to do. I mean, in the sense that it doesn't require very much overhead to be able to get those pushed out. So I'm probably uh, going to where I used to write a blog post every Tuesday and put out a new blog post. Um, I am probably going to just replace that with the videos. In fact, even as soon as I record this, uh, it is Tuesday that I am recording this, uh, Tuesday the 6th. And so um, this won't go out till Thursday. But nevertheless, uh, I will be posting those that first video uh, in terms of putting it out there specifically on that Tuesday schedule um, today. Now, here's uh, one of the problems with that. Uh, the way that search engines work in order to be seen, you have to have text on your website. Unfortunately, search engines are not uh, intuitive enough, at least not yet, to recognize um, the kind of information that a video on your web page has to offer in any meaningful way. And so one way around that is to have a, a transcript. Uh, but at the point that I'm transcribing a 10-minute you know, video, I could probably just as easily have written a post. Uh, some people are very, very fast typers who, do, who don't make lots of errors. I'm not that way. I'm not a very quick typer, and when I, the quicker I get, the more errors I make, and I make a lot. Uh, so uh, it's really not the most efficient thing for me to do uh, versus just putting the videos out there. So I wanted to put out a request for help. Now, anytime I've put out a request for help on things before, uh, I've had people jump up and say, hey, I would be willing to help out with that. And that means the world to me. It really does because it's hard to do this by yourself. Um, you know, a, a lot of people who have podcasts and blogs, I mean, they, they do this um, virtually alone. I mean, some people collaborate a little bit, but not always. And so most of the work that I do is alone. And I'm grateful for um, some 
colleagues who have stepped up in recent days and who uh, who helped me, uh, who helped me deliver things and who helped me get things done in, in the work of the ministry. And I, I certainly appreciate that. And in one sense, I appreciate that even more than I appreciate financial donations. Now, financial donations are important, and we like and appreciate those too. Uh, but it's also helpful to have people who are willing to donate their time. So I wanted to put out a, uh, a request for someone, if there's anybody in my audience listening who would be willing to help me out and to do a transcript each week of um, my YouTube videos. Essentially, uh, what would happen is the video would go up and you could go there or I would probably, um, I'm not, I'm not exactly sure how I would do that yet. Um, I might send you a link to the video before it's actually scheduled so that you could transcribe it beforehand. But it might be that uh, you just wait till the uh, the video is up on the Tuesday and then as soon as you can possibly get to it, you'd go there and transcribe the video and then um, get that to me and I could put it with the video on the website. So that would help. Uh, and that would help uh, a couple things. First of all, there are some people, believe it or not, who won't watch the video unless they can read a transcript along as well. And I don't know why that is, but trust me, from my experience in in marketing, uh, the study that I've done on that for various different things, uh, I know it. It's a fact. There are certainly some people who will not, um, and this goes for podcasts too, podcasts and videos, they will not um, watch or, or listen. They will not consume that content unless they also have a way to read it. That's number one. Uh, number two, uh, just for the, the search engine benefit, is that I want people to be able to find the information that we put out there into the world. I mean, that is the reason why we do this. We put this information out there so that people can find it. And the majority today of the of the people who come to my website actually end up coming via what's called organic Google search. That is, they're going on Google and they are finding um the content that I create and they're coming to the website and they are consuming that as a result of needing a question answered or something of that nature. Okay. So that's why they're there. Uh, so that is the second and probably the most important reason from that perspective, why we need a, a transcript. And, uh, the third reason is just practically because, um, I, I just want for people to be able to, uh, to read my, content. And I think I, I try to read and speak in very, uh, in a very similar fashion. And so I think that if I'm not going to have a blog post out there, a good substitute would be a transcript on the video that I post for that week. So if there's anybody out there who would be willing to help me with that, look, here's the thing at, at the bottom of every post, or, you know, maybe even at the top somewhere on every post, I will figure out a way to give you credit. I mean, I don't know, you know, I'm just throwing this out there, but maybe you've got a writing ministry. Maybe you do, you know, maybe you do uh, writing, maybe you have your own blog, maybe you have a writing business and you want, you know, uh, your information to, to be out there for others to see. I would be happy to, um, to give you credit for the transcription of the video every time it goes out. I mean, as long as you do a, a transcription on the video and it goes on my website, uh, you will be given credit for that. So that could be a great way to generate uh, you know, traffic back to your own website or possibly even to generate business for you if you're a, a writer. So anyway, just throwing that out there. If there's anybody out there, or maybe you don't want any of that, maybe you don't care for the credit, maybe you just want to be a blessing and help us out. 
um, send me an email, steve at steveshram.com, steve at steveshram.com. And uh, just send me an email there if you think you would be interested in helping me to once per week transcribe um, a, uh, you know, eight to 10 minute video. Uh, Based on research I've done, a 15 minute video is usually around 2,500 words at, at the average pace of speaking. Um, so, you know, that maybe gives you a little bit of, um, um, you know, context. It might be 15 to 1800 words, uh, or maybe less time that you actually, you know, end up doing the transcription. So, uh, and that would be on a weekly basis. So if you could do that and if you'd be willing to commit to that every week when at all possible, uh, I would be more than grateful. So, uh, just shoot me your contact information and we'll talk. So I appreciate that. Okay. Let's get right into it. I've taken up enough time, 16 minutes already. (laughs) So let's go ahead and deal with these seven ways to identify a bad argument. And again, as I mentioned, we're going to identify these in the forms of questions. Now, I don't have a handy acronym or anything here for you to go by uh, to be able to easily parse this out. Perhaps you could put something like that together for yourself. But I just want to give you the questions and then discuss a little bit about the fallacy. And uh, I'm really bad at coming up with examples of things, illustrations of things off the top of my head. But I'm going to try my best to do that with each of these. Um, So you'll just pray for me if you don't mind. All right. So here's the first question. When somebody gives you an argument, they are challenging your convictions, and you have maybe thrown something out there, and they give you a response. Here's something that you want to ask. Does their argument attack the claim or the person making it? Does their argument attack the claim or the person making it? So this could manifest itself in a, in a variety of ways. The, the two I'm thinking of off the top of my head is maybe um, somebody takes a, a, a dash at your credibility. In other words, you have made an argument and they did not attack anything about the argument itself. They attacked you. Now, sometimes these are more subtle. Sometimes these are more direct. So you really have to be watching out for them. But the key component here is to see whether or not they are addressing your argument. If they're not addressing argument, the argument, uh, but rather say that you lack the qualifications, say that they wouldn't listen to you because of, you know, maybe your opinion on some other issues, um, or whatever the case may be, then they are logically not attacking the argument, they're just attacking you. They're not saying anything to the nature of the claims that you made. Listen, here's the principle behind all of these, really. A claim has to be evaluated on its own merits. The claim does not stand or fall necessarily based on who has made it. So an ad hominem attack completely ignores the nature of the claim. Now, the other way that this might can manifest itself, and there are um, maybe a few different ways to characterize this, but it could be that uh, you are using information made available by another organization, etc., and the uh, ad hominem attack is directed towards the credibility of that organization. Now, there's a sense in which that could manifest itself as something called the genetic fallacy 
Um, but I don't have that one wrote down for today. We'll save that one for another time. Um, but again, it's still a form of ad hominem attack for them to say that they're not going to deal with the claims or that the claims must be false because they're coming from an unreliable uh, resource. Uh, and they give some kind of pejorative claim about the resource. Um one example of this might be, you know, if you're dealing with somebody and you reference an article from Answers in Genesis. Oh, you know, well, we can't trust anything from Answers in Genesis because uh, they don't have, a, a, you know, a, a real science journal. That's a fake science journal. Now, whether your your feelings about the journal, I mean, that's irrelevant. I mean, I, you know, again, you take each and every argument, each and every proposition, on its own merits. There are Answers Research Journal entries that are bad and Answers Journal Research entries that are good. We can't make an overgeneralization there um, because in a sense that is a form of an ad hominem attack. It's logically fallacious to attack the presenter of the argument or you know the 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 um, the supporting uh, research that the that the person has done uh, based on something that is outside of the claim that was made. So that's the ad hominem attack. Okay, uh, number two, the second way to identify. A bad argument. Can you put the word therefore between the premise, the premise or the premises and the conclusion and the argument still make sense? Can you put the word therefore between the premise or the premises and the conclusion and the argument still make sense? Now, I actually recorded a video on this, which I'll encourage you to go check out and I will put a link to it in the show notes, and the title of the video is a question. It says, therefore, Christianity is false? Really? So when an argument is being made, you really need to look at, now this is harder to do in the sense of a regular discussion. This is easier to spot in a, um, in the setting of formal logic with, you know, where you have two or more premises that logically deduce down to a conclusion. But in the world of informal fallacies, this would be called a non sequitur. It's where the argument, the conclusion that has been drawn, does not follow from the premises of any given argument. And you can always get to the bottom of this kind of fallacy by simply putting the word therefore into the equation. So maybe here is uh, an example of that. If um, somebody says to you that uh, they disagree with the God of the Bible because they disagree with the decision that in the Bible he made. In other words, you might find somebody who says that well, uh, you know, I don't believe the Bible because the Bible endorses slavery. Okay, now, whether or not the Bible actually endorses slavery, especially what we mean by slavery in the 21st century, you know, culture that we live in, that's a, that's a separate issue. Do I think the Bible supports slavery? No. But notice the problem. They've said that 
they don't believe that Christianity is true because the Bible supports slavery. Now, let me ask you a question. Can you put the word therefore anywhere in that equation and get a logically cogent argument? Well, of course not. It, it, it simply does not follow that if the Bible endorses slavery, Christianity is false. So, I mean, just think about it like this. The Bible endorses slavery, therefore, Christianity is false. Now, does that make any sense at all? Well, the obvious answer there is no. It doesn't make any sense, and that's because the argument doesn't go through. How about this one? Now, this one's tricky. This one's tricky, and this is why I'm bringing it up, because you might not uh, catch it at first. But how about this kind of argument? The teachings that we have that support the life and ministry of Jesus Christ closely reflect the details of other dying and rising redeemers from the ancient Near East. Therefore, Christianity is false. Now, believe it or not, there is very widespread opinion that what I just mentioned is the case. Um, there is a large number of people who actually believe that Jesus was a copy of Horus and, and, and Mithras and, uh, you know, Dionysus, Krishna, and all these other pagan uh, deities whose uh, information supposedly preceded that of Jesus. And Jesus's life kind of takes the, the details of some of these different uh, God figures and uh, is just simply a mimicry of them. Now, if you actually research these claims for longer than 10 minutes, you're going to find out that it's not actually true. It's not actually true. There's, there's virtually zero evidence that's the case. But for the sake of argument, what if it were? What if it were the case that Jesus was um, exactly as the Bible say, and yet these other claims were true, but there were people who preceded him who had um, mythical details that were uh, similar enough to draw the comparison between the life and ministry of Jesus and the details of their lives as pagan deities. What if that were the case? Could we put in there, therefore, Christianity is false? Well, no, we couldn't. Even if it were true, the argument still wouldn't go through on logical grounds. Now, on some practical grounds, it might cause you to, you know, think, oh man, I'm in trouble here. You know, I mean, it might, it might, it might cause you some personal angst um, as you're trying to work through it. But logically speaking, there is absolutely no damage done to the record that we have of Jesus based on any kind of earlier testimony that may might look something like Jesus. And like I said, it's really not even there. However, even if it were, it wouldn't be enough to show that Christianity was false. And there's a very common story, you've probably heard it a million times, that is used in this example, but it's so poignant. Um, the example of a book that was written 14 years 
before the sinking of the actual Titanic. And uh, the name of the boat in this book that was written was the Titan. It was the largest ship to ever be built at the time. It was on its maiden voyage uh, traveling over the seas, and it sunk via an iceberg. I mean, the details are virtually exact. And yet that exact scenario happened in real life 14 years later. So it's obvious that there are circumstances we could point to where there may be extreme similarity, but yet there is no actual causal relationship happening. There's nothing more happening there than simply mere coincidence. So we can't put the word therefore there. (laughs) So therefore, it is a non sequitur. The conclusion simply does not follow from the premise or the premises that have been laid out. Okay, I want to final uh, cover one final argument um, or way to identify a bad argument today, and we'll wrap it up for this week, and we'll close out uh, uh, this particular uh, lesson next uh, week. We'll go ahead and turn this into a two-parter, okay, since I took a little bit of time up at the beginning to, uh, to, to discuss some other things. Okay, so the fourth thing, then, that we want to look at, or excuse me, the third, rather, to identify a bad argument is this question. Does the argument's success depend upon unsubstantiated assumptions? Does the argument's success depend upon unsubstantiated assumptions? And if it does, then the logical fallacy in play here is something called a false assumption. Isn't that creative? All right. So uh, just think about this kind of a scenario. What if I said this? It looks like it's wet outside. My yard is wet. It looks like it must have rained. Is that a warranted argument? Well, not necessarily, because it doesn't account for the fact that I have a sprinkler system installed, hypothetically, in this scenario. So it doesn't necessarily follow that uh, just because the ground is wet outside, that it rained. Um, how about this? My wife or husband, um, whatever your scenario may be, uh, did not get the package today, so they must not have been home when the delivery driver arrived. Well, That might be a reasonable assumption, except maybe they just were asleep and didn't hear the doorbell. There are other ways. So there are things that may or may not be reasonable. And again, I talked about this a week or two ago, uh, about things that may not be reasonable based on uh, background information. Now, obviously, your assumption would be right, in the case I just mentioned, if you knew that they had an appointment out of the house between one and four o'clock that day. Now that would be, uh, that would lend more credence to your assumption. It would make it more reasonable, in other words, for you to assume that your partner was simply not home and that's why they missed the package versus the fact that they were just snoozing away in bed. Okay, so you see what's going on there. This is, um, 
a false assumption. And I don't think I have to, you know, make a much bigger point than this, uh, than the lesson that we, you know, had last week on um, on uniformity versus uniformitarianism. We specifically dealt with the notion that some um, assumptions are reasonable or unreasonable based on other kinds of background information that you might have. And so this is exactly the kind of thing that goes on uh, you know, there's this uh, assumption that there is no such thing as the supernatural, okay? This is an a priori philosophical assumption. But is that justified? Is that a justified assumption that people do when they come to the project of science, um, given the background information? Well, we have tons of background information that says that there's something beyond the natural, there are these um, near-death experiences and DEs that we see. There is the evidence presented to us in the person of Jesus Christ in, in, in the Bible that says that there's more. Our general intuitions about the fact that we're not merely physical, that we do have uh, a mind that is not part of this particular physical realm uh, in, in that sense, Um these general intuitions, these are all things that give us background information to suggest that anything built on a philosophy of physicalism or naturalism or materialism is likely um, not using the correct assumptions. So that is how we need to look at that. We, we ask, does this argument does the success of this argument depend upon an unsubstantiated argument? If not, uh, or if it does, then it doesn't go through. We need to then look and see if the assumptions that have gone into this were reasonable or unreasonable and continue along in that fashion. Hey, look, here's the bottom line. And we got four more of these to go next week. But here's the thing. It takes time. I mean, it really, it really takes time to go through and to have careful conversations. And you'll get better at this as you go on. I mean, when I first started learning this stuff, you know, it would have taken me forever to, to evaluate an argument based on these kind of criteria. Now, I mean, I'm not going through reading back each one of these questions in my mind every time somebody makes a statement. I've trained my mind and I've listened to enough interactions and I've been involved in enough interactions to be able to point them out almost instantaneously, but you have to learn what they are first. So that's why I'm giving these to you. You can learn what these are. You can go through them. You can become more acquainted with them. Now, there's other, I mean, many other logical fallacies other than the seven that we're talking about in this particular study, all right? Um, many, many more, but these are important ones that come up all the time that I think you need to be aware of. So we're going to cut it off here for today, and next week we will uh, come back with the uh, remaining four ways to identify a bad argument. For now, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you and thank you for the tremendous confirmation, Lord, that your word provides of your world, and your world provides of your word. Lord, it's a, it's a two-way street, but we know that your highest revelation is that through scripture directly to us. And of course, Father, that of the Holy Spirit that you have given us. We love you and we thank you for your mercy and your goodness and your grace. Father, David sure knew what he was doing when he wrote Psalm 23. We thank you for the leading, Lord, that you give us in our lives. When we're in the valley or maybe oh, we're on the mountain, 
Lord, you are there and you comfort us in each and every situation. We love you and we thank you. And I pray now that you would help uh, everyone who is listening to be able to take these questions and apply them in their conversations and Lord, be able to use them for the furtherance of the gospel because that's what this is all about. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We appreciate you giving a listening ear this week to the Steve Schramm Show. Hey, if you have just a minute, I'd appreciate it if you'd go and um, you know rate and review the show uh, wherever you listen to podcasts. Of course, we'd also appreciate it if you would subscribe to it um, so you don't miss an episode. We put something out every single week for you, so don't miss that. Also, I'd encourage you, especially if you're a new listener, to go to steveschramm.com slash defend, steveschramm.com slash defend, and there you are going to uh, be put through our free four-lesson email course on how to defend your faith with confidence. It's a great little introduction to apologetics and the basic things you need to know to overcome the four, what I think are some of the four most common objections to Christianity. All right, thanks. Have a great week. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.